0: Why do people go bald?
1: Why are baboons' bums red? What's a light year? Why do leaves go brown in the autumn? Why do monkeys like bananas? Why do some things glow why in the Why dark? do animals not understand you? Why do my receipts fade after a year?
0: Don't know the answer? Ask the Naked Scientists.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's Ask the Naked Scientists. with me, Sue Marchant and Dave Ansel. has said. Um, We've got some sensor lights outside our house so we can see the lock in the door at night. I've always wondered about the science of these lights and what's got me is how do they know when to turn on? How does the sensor detect activity?
2: Um, I think basically these things, I don't know if you've ever looked at them closely if you look at the, they've sort of got a part of a cylinder looking out the front which is actually where the sensor is it's sort of split up into a load of sections I think at the back of each of those sections there's a sensor which detects infrared light which is a form of light sort of beyond the red in the spectrum. There's the actual forms of light which we can see, the visible light is only a minute fraction of all the different kinds of lights out there in the electromagnetic spectrum. Beyond the blue side, you get ultraviolet light, which is what you, makes your clothes glow if you're in a club. And beyond that, you get x-rays, which can take pictures of you. And beyond the red side, you get this infrared light. And I think basically there's a sensor behind each of these little sections, and then some electronics inside, which looks at how bright each of these sections are. And even if it's um, quite dark, I think uh, even if it's quite dark, there's still enough infrared light for it to be able to get some kind of signal. And if any one of these sections kind of changes quickly, especially compared to its neighbours, then the sensor thinks, "Ah, there's something going on, something in the scene in front of me which is changing, I'll turn the light on. So it's basically looking for changes in a very, very low-resolution picture of what it's looking at in the brightness of this infrared light. It's a bit like having a TV, ca- having a TV camera pointing at something, and it's looking at the view. And if the view changes, it thinks some- something's happened. I'll turn the light on. Clever stuff.
1: Um, Foxy from Offley near Luton um, wants to know why, when you cough, you seem to see stars.
2: I'm not a doctor, but I can give you my best shot. The retina, which is a bit of the back of your eye, which is, does the sensing, is actually one of the most energy-insensitive parts of your body. So it eats glucose, it eats energy all the time. And so if you do anything which slightly reduces the amount of oxygen, you, you, to get energy you need oxygen and sugar, and those are reacted in all sorts of clever biochemistry which goes on inside the cells, which I'm not qualified to talk about. <laughs> so you need both oxygen and sugar. But And so if you do anything which means you're short of, uh, especially oxygen, because that's what you get short of, quickest, then the retina starts to behave slightly strangely and strange things going on and I thought if you start coughing too much you probably start to get slightly short of oxygen and so the retina at the back of your eyes starts behaving oddly and sending strange signals to, the, to your brain and you see odd things going on I know
1: I get strange patterns on my eyes if I do too much exercise Valerie is on the line Hello Valerie Hello Dave, both of you Hello, Hello. You're through, stock Dave, what's your question? Uh, the thing is that when you're asleep and you waken in the morning and you recover for five minutes or so, then when you get up and stand up, you start yawning, which you haven't done when you're lying down in bed. And I'm baffled why this is. Good question. I, that's good that's question.
2: I don't know. I mean, again, it's the problem with humans. They're horribly complicated. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so again, I'm probably guessing but i think one of the things which triggers you to yawn is if you're starting to get a bit short of oxygen because it kind of makes your your lungs expand and you kind of take a big lung full of air so it could be that when you're lying down you're not actually using very much oxygen your body doesn't need it particularly and then when you stand up all of a sudden you you know your heart's got to bump a pump faster and all sorts of other things are going on so that could be one thing that's doing it or it could be some strange... Learned, the the problem, problem I have with bodies is it's very hard to kind of extrapolate from some knowledge to others because there's always something else more complicated going on. But that's one thing which it might be.
1: Thank you for solving the problem for me. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, we've got Alan on the line from Orpington. Hello, Alan. Hello, sir. Hello there. What's your question? Um, it's about
0: tears. We have tears in our eyes, mm-hmm. yeah. and there's a logic that is there, obviously, for uh, to moisten the eyes and to keep them uh, sort of free of dust and washing them all the time. But we also cry, and so we, we've got tears to demonstrate our emotions. Where are the tears? How do they arrive at the eye from other parts of the body? Um, they usually, if you taste them, they, they're salty. And yeah. the other final thing is do other creatures, have tears for the same shine of emotion.
2: The way that tears are made, I think they're basically blood, which has had all of the big bits sort of strained out of it. It's like if passing blood through a sieve. So it stops all of the cells, uh, all the big things like cells, and antibodies, getting out. Uh, so it's a very, 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 very fine sieve. And so that squeezes through, basically. So what's left in the blood is um, water and a bit of salt, various salts in there. So inside the tear duct there's basically a very fine sieve and it can kind of open it up and sort of sieve out the blood and you get sort of water coming through. I, think, I guess I think it adds a few other things in there which are quite good at killing bacteria, so, which is part of the reason why, you're, um, why you don't get infections in your eye all the time because it's, otherwise it would be quite a nice place for bacteria to live. So there's some, some also some sort of antibacterial stuff going on.
0: Oh, that would be continuous. If you kept crying and crying and crying, your body would keep supplying enough tears...
2: Until you got seriously dehydrated if you think if you get very dehydrated. Is there a then demonstration
0: probably... to other human beings or is there a purpose within your own body for that?
2: The reason I think most animals cry is if they get something in their eye, if they get dust in their eye or something it basically clears out the eye. If you get bacteria in the eye then eyes will stream. Um, if you get something in your eyes like if you cut an, an onion, then you get some quite nasty chemicals coming out of that, which are slightly poisonous your, and make your eyes hurt so you're, the reason why you might start crying then is your eyes trying to wash them out and keep, and keep the surface nice and clean. Um, why you cry for emotional reasons i th- 'm guessing that it 's probably one of these kind of evolutionary things that if you 're kind of u- upset kind of physically but if you're in sort of your facial region region you quite often cry again, this is me guessing because I'm a physicist i'm afraid um so so if there's a physical thing which makes which means you're upset. So other people come and help you because so this is like millions of years ago so if other hominids if one hominid started crying there was obviously something wrong with their eyes so they'd go and give, help them out yeah. and then possibly that sort of somehow over millions of years got slightly confused with kind of um, mentally being upset rather than just physically because if, if you if you start if your eyes started streaming other other people come and help you out and make you feel better
0: how would that fit in with other
2: animals? I don't know of any other animals that cry for emotional reasons. The only reason I can think of for crying the way that we do when we get upset is for the be- essentially for the benefit of other people around us, so you as come, they'll come and get yeah. get help us. And, and
1: also, if you, with you saying about the blood thing as well, um, if you cry an awful lot, then your eyes are very, very red. That's Thank you very much indeed, Alan. OK. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Hello to Andy and Hunty. Dunn wants to know how fast a lead pellet would travel and how far if fired from a high-powered air rifle of 50 pounds pressure. Dr Dave, over to you.
2: Well, this one is one which is basically it's very dependent on all, on all the sort of specifications of the rifle, how big the bore is of the rifle, how long it is, things like that. So basically I've made up a load of numbers and I can explain to you roughly how you would work it out for your particular rifle. Okay so if I'm guessing by £50 pounds pressure you probably mean £50 pounds per square inch of pressure. So if you work out how many square inches the back of your rifle bullet is, you can work out how much force that will push the bullet out at. So I, maybe if the, the rifle was a sixth of an inch across then it's going to be about 36 or 40th of a square inch of the actual area in there.
1: This is complicated! <laughs> so, it's going to,
2: so maybe it's going to get forced about a pound and a half of force on the bullet as it fires which is about three quarters of a kilogram and if the bullet weighs a couple of grams then it's going to be um, accelerating at about 300 meters per second per second so if it accelerated that rate for a second it would be going at 300 meters a second which is about 500 miles an hour however you would need a very very long gun for that so you probably, if you only got a meter of meter of gun, it's probably going to come out at about sort of twenty-five meters a second. If you shot that up at forty-five degrees, it'd probably go about eighty meters. Is my estimate. So I think if you change, depending on your gun, if you had different weight pellets, different areas of um, of the bore, of the different size gun, different size of the bore of the gun, you'll get different results out of that sort of calculation. But, yeah, it's basically a case of finding out how much force there is on the bullet, how quickly it will accelerate, and then how long it has to accelerate.
1: Crikey, rather, you than me. The lightning, lightning brain of uh, Dr. Dave. How do clouds float, says Mike in Peterborough? Actually, this is pretty much the same way
2: as a hot air balloon floats. A cloud is made up of lots and lots of little tiny droplets of water. Um, tiny, tiny, much too small to see t- until they've turned to rain, of course, until so they grow and t- form into big droplets, At which point they turn into rain and they fall out of the cloud. But mostly clouds are very, very small droplets of water with air in between them. And basically, normally clouds form when you get hot air, um, rising and hot air rises because um, hot air expands when it warms up, which means that the same weight of air takes up more space. So the air gets less dense, and if something's less dense than the air around it, it will float. If you put something less, put water, which is less dense than water, sorry, if you put wood, which is less dense than water, into a lake, it will float. Um, so you've got this warm air which floats upwards as it rises it cools down a bit and the water tends to, the moisture in it tends to condense and form little droplets but the air around, in between those droplets is still tends to be a bit warmer than the um, cold air around it and also um, there's probably more water vapour in the air in the cloud than there is everywhere else and water vapour is less dense than normal air so that will tend to make it float. This is the same principle as how a hot air balloon or in fact how a helium balloon which you take home with silly faces drawn on it from the <laughs> fair, the um, same principle how they work. Basically, if you fill a balloon, a hot air balloon, you heat up the air, it expands, it um, gets less dense, and so hot. so you fill up a balloon with it and you can float. Or a helium balloon, you pick a gas which is already less dense than air, like helium, and so you just fill a balloon with that and it will float. So basically, clouds float because they're full of warm, moist air, which is less dense than air, and they just float on the cold air around them.
1: After the uh, overwhelming evidence from us, says Flymo, um, does the doctor know or believe in UFOs? Personally, out
2: there somewhere, I could quite believe there are aliens. The universe is a very, 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 very big place. It's quite likely that there are aliens somewhere in other. it's, It's very. It seems kind of strange if this is the only place where intelligent life has turned up. But I've seen no good evidence that the aliens have got here.
1: Brilliantly, put, brilliantly, put. I reckon there's something, something hanging around out there, really. But out there is an awfully big place. Yes, exactly. We've got, uh, oh, we've got Tony in Westcliff. hello, Tony.
0: Hello, so lovely to speak to you again. And
1: you
2: as well. Good evening, Tony.
0: Good evening, Dr Dave. The sky, now it's blue, obviously. Yeah. But where does the blue start and finish? I mean, during the day, I saw the moon, but it looked white.
2: Yeah.
0: In other words, it didn't have a blue, you know, if it had been blue between here and the moon, it would have looked blue, wouldn't it?
2: Depends on how the blue is getting there. Because if it, you're right, if the sky was blue because it had like a big sort of blue acetate up in front of it, a big piece of blue, kind of clear blue plastic between us and the moon, then it would look blue. Yeah. Um, but the reason why the sky looks blue is that when white light goes through the sky, it tends to hit sort of um, oxygen, nitrogen molecules and little bits of dust. And blue light tends to bounce off that more, more than other colours. So, uh, if you look directly at the sun, you tend to you see the the white light. Not that you should do, because it's a very stupid thing to do. You'll see um, the white light with the colours which are about minus a few cuts, minus a bit of blue, which kind of actually gives you a yellowy colour. Um, but if you look anywhere else, all you can see is this light which is bouncing off the atmosphere, basically, and that's that's a very that's sort of a weak blue light. Now, if the moon's behind that, the moon's quite bright white and so there will be a bit of blue on top of that but the white light coming from the moon will co- basically come straight through and in fact it should look it will have some of its um, blue light scattered out so the, the the moon should look slightly yellow but it, on top but with with the blue light from the sky added to that it'll look pretty much white. Ah. In fact if you do a very very long exposure photograph of the night sky if there's a moon up if you look at the sky, if you have a 5-10 you know, minute exposure so you can you actually see the sky and the moon Moonlight will scatter as well, and that will... So the sky looks blue even at night. It's just so dim that our eyes can't see it. Good Lord. I saw, yeah, one, one of my friends has, has, has got some beautiful pictures of it.
0: It's intriguing. Um, incidentally, very... I should say this in about three words. What is pizza electricity?
2: Pizza electricity. Um, basically, that if you get certain crystals, like quartz crystals... Yes. If you bend them... Um, a t- electric charge will build up on one side, so one side will become positive and the other side will become negative. And so you can in so you know, actually you can build up very high voltages like that. So you, the, the little um, the lighters which you get for gas fires. Oh, yeah. You've stoves at which you press the button and they go click and you get a little spark at the end of it. Yeah. What they're doing is they're bending a little crystal of quartz and then one side becomes 3,000 volts positive, the other side becomes 3,000 volts negative. And then you have two wires going out to the end and you get a spark between the two for uh-huh. so the high voltage. You can act, the, the effect works the other way as well. If you apply voltage to a quartz crystal, it will bend. So... How
0: it bend?
2: But I think it's the reason why it's all going on is I think some parts of the basically you're actually I think you're moving atoms within the crystal structure sort of from one part sort of just sort of one atom less than one atom space from one side to the other which makes one side slightly wider and one side slightly shorter and if you squash it. Then it goes the other way. Um, and so you can get little, very, very small speakers are often bits of quartz which you apply a voltage, changing voltage to, and they bend, and that produces vibration, and oh. you can hear them. And other things which make ultrasound are, very, are normally made out of little quartz crystals like that. And clocks, uh, digital watches, um, they often say quartz on them.
0: Yeah, that's well, what I was just thinking
2: that. Used to, yeah. The, the reason, the way they keep time is they have a little tiny crystal of quartz, which if you apply, which will bend backwards and forwards a bit like a pendulum, if you put it in the right place in an electronic circuit. So this little piece of quartz will vibrate backwards and forwards. Actually, it's physically vibrating, but, but that's producing a, a little electric current going backwards and forwards, sort of tens of thousands of times every second. And then the electronics in the watch counts that and so it knows how many times it's wobbled, so it knows how much time has passed, and so it can write it up on the display. Good Lord.
1: Mmm. Wobbly crystals. Thank you very much, Tony. It's lovely to hear from you. Bye-bye, Doctor. Um, What else have we got here? Ah, um, if... um Men cut back big trees, and that where there was a nest, it's gone, and the parents keep sitting in a tree nearby. Are they grieving, says Linda? You know, that, that's a sort of similar thing, isn't it? The, is not it kind um, of waiting or something? Whether,
2: yeah, I yeah. think I'm, it was the, um, the kind of instinct to look after children. In many species, very, very strong yeah. and so I, and so basically, the way nature tends to make creatures do things is it will kind of make them get a, a a reward if they do something which they should do, which will mean that they produce lots of children, so looking after their children will, it will give the birds a kind of reward, so it will give them some dopamine um and if, if you eat you get sort of a reward because that makes that makes you feel good and so and if there's something which ba- bad happens then it'll sort of make you feel really bad so as you don't do it again and so i'm guessing that there's a, that the birds are very very attracted to a very very attached to their chicks and it takes them a while for their for, i mean and they're the kind of a deep deep part of their brain is kind of telling them that they ought to be looking after their chicks mm. and when they can't find them yeah it'll on some level it will probably make them something analogous to being us being sad certainly
1: Mm. anyway peter from wickford has run to if a duck's quack echoes and if not why not
2: yeah i think there's a sort of story going around a duck's quack doesn't echo in fact there's a guy who i've met a few times called trevor cox who actually did the experiment with a duck and found that it did actually echo
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> he, a, he does research on acoustics and things, and I think he thought yeah. I think there's a story going around. You ought to do the actual experiment and see what happens. It does echo. Um, all an echo is is if you've got some um, basically sound. If you make sound, it's basically vibrations in the air, a bit like w- waves on water, but in three dimensions. Um, and if water, w- if you have a water wave that comes up and hits the, su- the harbour wall or something, it will bounce off exactly the same way. Um, if a sound wave hits a s- hits Hits any surface pretty much it'll bounce off if you've got sort of a, a lot sort of normal surfaces inside rooms or normal areas and um, there's lots and lots of little tiny echoes that so uh, the sound will come out and echo a bit off the front of the car a bit off the top of the car a bit of the back of the car a little bit off the next car so it just comes back as no, nothing very particular and just sort of general noise and everything mixed up if you get something really nice and big and solid like a wall, and you make it, especially if you make a nice short, very clear sound, you be able to hear that sound because mm. there's lots of echoes all at the same time coming back, and you're able to hear a reflection of your voice. Um, I think the only thing that he, any reason why he thought that the, cat, the uh, ducks um, quack wouldn't, people might think that, is that quacks don't really finish um, quickly because you're able to hear an echo. You want it to kind of die if, if, if it dies away really quickly. If you hear, beep. You can always hear a <laughs> Ducks, quacks tend to sort of die away gently. It's hard to hear the echo mm. um, because there's no silence after the noise because they're the kind to of quack. So there's no silence after the noise, so you can't hear the echo very well. But he's done the experiment and they do echo, I'm afraid.
1: If there are countless stars shining, why aren't the nights so brilliantly lit up? That's
2: actually a really deep question. You're right, if, was st- if the universe is infinite, And there's stars sort of evenly spread over the universe. If you look in any direction far enough, you ought to be able to see a star. And so the whole sky ought to be as bright as the sun is, at which point we'd all get frazzled. Uh Um, And that's actually very deep. It tells tells us something very interesting about the universe. And what we think is going on, the reason why that is, is because the universe is expanding. And as the universe expands, the wavelength of the light tends will get lot larger as well. So the wavelength of the light is kind of getting stretched with the universe is one way of thinking about it. So if you look at something billions of light years away, so the light's been travelling for billions of years, which mm-hmm. is right about the edge of where we can see, the um, light has been stretched sort of... A by tens of probably millions of times so instead of being and and so if the wavelengths get stretched that makes it become redder and redder and redder and it moves down the uh, electromagnetic spectrum so if you look the furthest we can see is probably the cosmic microwave background radiation um, which if you're looking at every direction you see this this kind of um, microwave radiation coming towards us yeah very very cold microwave radiation and we think that started off as gamma rays so far beyond the blue very very energetic um radiation and then slowly over billions of years the universe has expanded and that's moved from the blue through the red through the infrared and through uh, through microwaves and into the microwave region so the reason why the the sky is black is because the universe is expanding and the light has been so stretched Mm. that that we can't see it anymore
1: that's it for this week